0: Hey, this is Matt. Just wanted to chime in real quick. Unfortunately, I've been overwhelmed with work and had to put Series 1 of the podcast on a brief break. But rather than have the feed go dead while I'm super busy, I decided that this would be a great opportunity to finish out some past work that's already been written, but I hadn't got around to airing. The first two episodes of this story, That Homeless, aired back in October of 2017 which I mentioned just in case you wanted to backtrack and hear the whole thing from start to finish. Now with that being said, let's get to the episode. Welcome to Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and narrated by Matt Herzberg, from www.distinctpoplar.com. This episode is titled, That Homeless, Part 4. Her tiny claw-like hands grabbed up the weapon called shiv and pressed it into the boy's hands. She then grabbed him under his elbows, guiding the shiv up in front of him, like a puppet run by the strings in his arms. The creature continued to gorge itself mere inches from the boy as it growled and gurgled in delight. Its fingernails scratched across the flesh of the man's neck. Its large yellow pupils were focused, desperate for the slow deed to be done, desperate to rend the flesh and drink the man's blood. Strike, ordered the eldest. Where soft instructions tickled his ears before, now it was replaced by the deafening boom of her orders. Strike now! The eldest bit her fingernails into the boy's skin to spur him into action. Bealey reacted accordingly as he was prompt. His arms needed no further guidance. Trails of red ran from his elbows and drip drip dripped across the blacktop. The frozen rigidity of inaction evaporated into his one simple act. Like a coiled spring unwound, he reared back, chose his spot, and spurted forward in a remarkable blur. It was the same way as before, poised to strike, like a long needle seeks to prick delicate flesh. Beale's blade surged out in front of him, powered by his strength as he plunged it over arm, like drawing a clean, quick, diagonal line from his own heart straight to that of the wicked wretched. The blade bit cleanly. Its edge found the creature's skin and drove up deeply into it. There was little resistance. The flesh was warm, like soft clay. Brackish blood spilled forth covering the monster, the boy, and that homeless. The last moments of the wicked wretched found it with an astonished visage, fixated into the very moment of its demise. The creature's eyes wide with loss as it stared upward into the canopy of caustic fumes, its torso once again became the spot where the blade retook its rightful place, mere inches from where it had been before. Collapsing into a heap upon itself, The monster's body was like a box of old deflated tires, a pile of rubbery, formless body parts that didn't seem to go together now, even if it had once before. Kell was at the side of the boy who had come here with that homeless. The man's body lay discarded, breathing shallowly, his form mangled from the attack. She held his head in her lap, wiping the slime away from the man's nose and mouth. As she did this, her fingers found the divots and bruises in his flesh, the crushed parts of his skull, and the horrible disfigurement that now made that homeless difficult to look upon. Kell wept for the man. The noxious fog began to dissipate, the air warmed rapidly, and the fumes evaporated back into the night sky. The gleam of distinct poplars, bright city streetlights, and flickering neon signs showered down all around them. When Kel looked up, she saw the soft glow of vapor settling upon them like some sort of supernatural mist. Floating specks appeared within its wispy tendrils, motes of light pollution that seemed to sparkle and flutter in the air, as if they had been kicked up by a rush of wind. In the unearthly glow, the motes followed each other like dandelion seeds. They spun and twirled and fell from great heights back towards the ground. When they began to settle... They stuck like morning dew across the surface of a car's windshield. Beads of moisture, sliding and dripping, thousands of them in concert all at once. Floating in the air, settling, and then rolling away in beads of moisture, all of them together seemed to collect in one shape, a form in the very air, something that had previously been invisible to the eye. And now it was made apparent as the dew like beads stuck into place, it started with a featureless exterior from head to toe. The man's arms and legs came next, and then his chest. Then, as each successive mote began to settle into each bead of moisture, more details began to take shape. The figure had hair, and then eyes and then a long, flowing beard. It was the old one, a transparent specter of a man as if solely composed of minuscule droplets of water, an old man who kneeled at the feet of that homeless, cupping his chin with his hand and shaking his head, as if in reprieve. The girl was amazed at his appearance, though none of the other women seemed to notice not even the eldest. The nothing and the nobody, Kell whispered, as the rest of the women stared down at her in confusion. Billy sheathed his makeshift knife called Shiv, and when he looked up, it was as if he had changed. In his eyes, the eldest could see that there was a recognition of his actions and the events that had just transpired. The boy had passed from one moment, innocent and remarkably curious, to this moment of awareness and recognition. That homeless. The boy stood above him looking down on the older version of himself with quizzical disbelief. He had retained his own thoughts, yet was still separate from himself, incomplete without the other two. Yet he was stuck this way as he and the old one had feared. He reached up into the air to poke at the old man version of himself, and as he did, the ghostly image of the old one dispersed like the puff of the dandelion. Three remained three. Beely was not as careful when he inspected that homeless. The man's horribly disfigured head was resting in Kell's lap, but Beely wanted to move him. The boy turned his back to the women of Almer's Way and began to drag that homeless by the hand. Just like they had come to the neighborhood originally, without rhyme and without reason, Beely began to make his way out of the neighborhood, slowly dragging that homeless behind him, leaving the women to the surprise of their waking husbands, fathers, and sons, who stumbled out of their beds and out onto the street for a drink at the pub. Overjoyed, all of the women of Almer's Way rushed to meet them in the streets. All that is, except for the eldest. The eldest had nobody in the town that she had cared for specifically. Nobody rushed into her awaiting arms or called out to her. The eldest was ancient, older than every other person in the neighborhood, Any loved ones that there had ever been, man or woman, succumbed to the ages prior. None had passed along the line of her family. Nobody remembered her full name, not even the eldest herself. Now she had suddenly felt so empty of purpose and guilty that the danger had passed. Now that things had gone back to normal, the people would forget about monsters like the wicked wretched. The eldest would return back to obscurity from whence she came, and she recalled something that the monster had said before it died. "'I am of the neighborhood myself,' she whispered the words of the wicked wretched to herself over her soup breath. It was like a warning, or maybe the beginning of a new curse, for the monster had claimed once to be the eldest itself, and she wondered if this was her fate.' To completely disappear from the lives and memories of those around her, to be shunned from everyday life, and to retreat to the kinds of places that nobody wanted to go, to fester in the ages without purpose, discarded by the world and embraced by resentment, to become the wicked wretched She then turned her attention back towards that homeless. The man had been dragged a ways down the street, but hardly any progress had been made. Beely continued his work with purpose, making this seemingly impossible task routine. The eldest followed, gathering her skirts up into her tiny claws so that she could move those old legs as fast as they could be motivated. "'Where will you go now?' she asked, pulling up beside him. The man needs hospital. I can care for him, Beeley responded, as he labored the body of that homeless down a street that did not exit towards the city proper. He was not leaving the neighborhood, as everyone had just assumed. But where will you go? She repeated, as she picked up the other man's arm, for the boy's pace would take an eternity if she didn't help him. So they pulled him past the streets of businesses and storefronts, past the lines of parked cars and the well-lit homes. They pulled him past the old cemetery in the city park of Ulmer's Way, past the struts for the train station that towered high above. They pulled him past old buildings covered in city graffiti, the old power station, and the dilapidated remains of the neighborhood that were long since abandoned. When Beely did finally stop, it was just outside a broken driveway and a front yard of overgrown yellow grass. There was a house neglected with age at the end, its windows broken and its gutters overgrown with long weeds like a face of dirty hair. The roof was busted in several places. The shingles fell away like discarded puzzle pieces. The red bricks were marred with a dark black mold and a putrid brown moss. The eldest looked to the end of the street, where a single light post stood bent, surrounded by litter and overhung with vines that strangled its neck. A single sign was attached to it. Clemens Street it read. When the eldest turned back to the man, she helped Beely pull him through the tall dead grass and into the house through a front door that hung for dear life by its hinges. In the living room, her feet sunk into a damp carpet that was smeared with dirt. She found that the man would be left there on the floor while they caught their breath, eager to lay down himself The boy found a weathered old couch wrapped in a plastic cover, which he yanked away in one motion, like a magic trick. That piece of furniture now seemed pristine in comparison with the rest of the room, the yellow peeling wallpaper, the rotting wood of the entertainment center devoid of its electronics, the thick layer of dust on every family photograph. The eldest casually picked up one such picture and cleared the pane of glass with the back of her hand. The image she found was of an older couple and a young boy who looked surprisingly like Beeley. The same features, the same hair, the same gapped-toothed grin. The boy here and the one in the picture, well, they could have been twins. The eldest joined that homeless by the side of his younger manifestation as Beeley knelt to attend to the man's injuries. She placed a hand on his shoulder as she brought the photograph, pressed behind the glass, and an old tarnished frame. Home, she said, showing him what she had found. Beeley's eyes fixated on the photograph for a moment and then found their way up to her gaze. He nodded to her and said the word back. Home. You've been listening to That Homeless, part four, written and narrated by Matt Herzberg, copyright Wednesday, March 28th, 2018. The intro music for this episode is done by Kevin McLeod. For more information, check the show notes in this episode's description. For more stories like this one, as well as eBooks and information about the city that forgot to stay clean, check us out online at www.distinctpoplar.com, or through our social media, just search for Distinct Poplar on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stop by, say hello.